everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Lights Out. Today's episode is on the Betty and Barney Hill alien abduction. Now, this story happened 50 years ago, but it is still one of the most famous alien abduction stories out there, as well as sort of the OG alien abduction story just in general, because we really didn't hear too much about people being abducted by aliens until Betty and Barney Hill had their experience. It's really sort of this historical event in history that has kind of gone down as folklore at this point. A lot of people don't believe that Betty and Barney Hill had this alien abduction experience, but there's also a lot of people that do believe they really had this experience. So at the end of this, you'll have to let me know what you think of it and whether or not you believe Betty and Barney Hill were really abducted by aliens. So let's talk about Betty and Barney Hill. Barney is an African-American fella, and he was born on July 20th, 1922 in Newport News, Virginia. And he was the youngest of his four siblings. And as a young man, he enlisted in the United States Army during World War II and later was discharged after serving his term. After he got out of the military, he attended Temple University and then later got married to a woman named Ruby. And he actually had two kids with Ruby. However, their marriage did not go very well and eventually they got divorced. And then soon after he got divorced, Barney met Betty Barrett. Now, Betty Barrett was born on June 28, 1919 in Newton, New Hampshire, and she attended the University of New Hampshire where she earned a master's degree in social sciences. And after college, she ended up working in her local community as a social worker in the child welfare department. And because of her work, she was definitely a highly respected individual in her community. And shortly after Barney and Betty met, they ended up falling in love and decided to get married. And during that time, Barney and Betty, they were actually an interracial couple, and they would often face a lot of public ridicule uh, regarding the black and white union. And people that did know them never did question how solid their relationship was. Yeah, it was really hard back during that time to, you know, be an interracial couple and also be public about it. So the fact that they were so confident with each other and they really seemed like a great match and had a really good relationship. And after they got married, Betty and Barney decided to move to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which was Betty's hometown. And when they got there, they purchased a home that was about an hour away from Boston, Massachusetts which is where Barney commuted to work every day as a postal worker. God, that's a long way to go to be a postman. Not only was Barney a postman, he was also a member of the local civil rights commission. And he ended up doing a lot of good work for them and received many commendations for his work within the civil rights movement, actually, including being honored for his outstanding service to the community by the governor of New Hampshire. That's pretty cool. He was a really upstanding guy. He even ended up getting invited to the inauguration of Lyndon Johnson in 1963, and he ended up giving an acceptance speech regarding his renown in the New England community. Because Betty and Barney Hill were very active members of the NAACP, or the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, and they were often looked upon as pioneers in their own way for being a happy interracial couple. Betty and Barney Hill seem like solid people, don't seem like people that would lie about something that would happen to them. They definitely seem like intelligent people, both college graduates. So when we get into their abduction story, you got to take that all into account and think about why would they want to lie about such a profound experience like the one they are about to have. So Betty and Barney Hill are driving back home to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. It's the night of September 19th, 
1961, and they're coming home from Montreal, Quebec. And Barney is 39 years old at the time, and Betty is 41 years old. And they were coming home from a short vacation in Canada, where they had spent some time in both Montreal as well as Niagara Falls. And it was about 10.30 p.m. when they were approaching the New Hampshire town known as Indian Head, when Betty spots a very unusual bright light in the sky from the car as they're driving along. Now, Betty had always been obsessed with the night sky, astronomy, and she had recently become interested in UFOs because UFOs were starting to become more popular in American culture at that time. I mean, not even 10 years prior, Roswell had happened. So a lot of people were interested in what really happened at Roswell. And so I imagine that Betty was probably very interested in this. So when she sees this bright light in the sky that she can't really make out what it is initially, she starts wondering if this could be a UFO. So Betty points out the bright light to Barney and says, do you see that light? Do you see what it's doing? It's starting to move around and really erratically and definitely doesn't look like, you know, an aircraft or anything normal that would be up in the night sky like that. And Betty even thought it was a planet of some kind or even a star. Like that was like the first thing she thought. Which is a rational thing to do, right? I mean, whenever I see a bright light in the sky, I always try to run through all the different things that it could be before I'm like, definitely a UFO. Even though my mind, you know, I'm so obsessed with UFOs at this point that I think everything is a UFO. But, you know, I try to calm myself down and run through the more logical scenarios, pull out your sky map and, you know, which will tell you if it's a planet or star. But obviously, back at this time, you know, they didn't have any technology like that. So they're making their best guess at what it could be. What's interesting as they're driving along, they're noticing that this light is moving closer and it's getting bigger and brighter. So as they're looking at this light, they're completely dumbfounded at what it could be. They're thinking maybe it's an airplane approaching, but the way that it kept, you know, kind of coming in and out of view, it would disappear and then reappear. And so the couple became more suspicious as they kept driving on. But eventually Barney got to a point where he could pull over the car at a scenic picnic area just south of the Twin Mountains. They did exactly what I would do too if I saw a mysterious light in the sky. I would pull over, get out of the car, and try to get a better look at it in an area where you know the light wouldn't just disappear behind the trees or whatever. Right. It's like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I mean, if you did actually see a UFO or something, that would be insane. Why wouldn't you stop? I mean, if it clearly isn't a plane and it's coming closer to you, getting bigger and brighter, I would stop too. I think a lot of people might do the opposite and (laughs) pedal to the metal and book it the fuck out of there. But for me, and I think many of you out there, you'd probably pull over too and want to take a look at it. Once they stopped at the picnic area, they got out of the car and they actually had their dog Delcy with them as well. And so Betty got Delcy out of the car to take him for a walk. And then Barney went and got his binoculars because they had just been on vacation and they happened to have a pair of binoculars with him. Once Barney started looking through the binoculars, he started being able to make out the shape of this object and the shape was a disc and it had tons of multicolored lights on it, including rows of shiny windows along the structure of the object itself. It's interesting that as soon as they noticed that this thing was kind of headed towards where they were at, that they freaked out and decided to hop in the car to sort of get away from it. But also, you know, I think they just feel safer in the car. I think most people would feel safer in a car. You know, there's a less, likely of you being abducted if you're in your vehicle versus you know just standing outside but they get back in the car and they head down this like isolated 
dirt road or country road. And, you know, the whole time they're keeping their eyes on the, the craft that's coming towards them while also trying to, you know, navigate their way down this narrow road that they're on. So while they are on the isolated road, they had to obviously drive a lot slower than how they were on the highway uh, just because, you know, the road was all over the place and it was kind of hard to see. And that allowed a lot of time for that craft to slowly catch up to uh, Barney and Betty Hill. Which I think at that point, they're starting to freak out a little bit that this thing is, you know, gaining on them and catching up to where they're at. But it's also sort of flying all over the place. Uh, They watched it fly over the top of Cannon Mountain, uh, where it hovered above a restaurant and a tall signal tower for a little bit. And then at one point, they were able to see that the craft was at least one and a half times the length of this granite cliff that it was hovering around. So which was roughly about 40 feet long. And they noticed that the craft appeared to be rotating. And while they're observing all of this, Barney's still driving and clearly trying to get away from it. But this flying saucer, it seems, is starting to descend closer and closer to their car. And it actually got right up near them, approximately one mile south of Indian Head. And at this point, the car itself is getting lit up by all these lights on this UFO and Barney's not able to see anything whatsoever ahead of him. So he slams on his brakes. And it was at this point that the disc shaped craft started hovering silently above their car, which was a 1957 Chevy Bel Air. Barney's freaking the fuck out at this point because now this thing's overhead. He doesn't know what's about to happen. So he hops out of the car grabs his 22 pistol that he had with him and begins pointing it at the craft, waiting for whatever is going to happen next. And that's when he says he starts seeing what looks like eight to 11 humanoid figures peering out of the flying saucers windows at him. And apparently these humanoid figures were wearing glossy black uniforms and black capes. What the fuck? I mean, I can only imagine that that thought, you know, looking up at this craft gun pointed at it and you see these little humanoid figures in the window. I, I assume that he couldn't make out exactly what they looked like. Cause if they were in all black, it's also possible that he just couldn't see very well. Cause you know, it's late at night at that point as well. And also super creepy. Cause it's not like they're just waving at Barney. Like, right. Hey, yeah. 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 We know? come in peace, right? <laughs> they're just staring them down. So this thing chases you down Clearly they want something to do with you and they're all just, you know, these humanoids figures or aliens at this point are just peering at them through the windows. Then all of a sudden all but one of the figures move away from the windows and walks over to what appeared to be a panel at the rear wall of the craft. And this figure was just standing there continuing to stare at Barney, apparently communicating in some nonverbal way. And according to Barney, the message was, stay where you are. And then he said that he saw bat like wings open up from the sides of the craft, which had shiny red lights on them and then saw a long structure come out from the bottom of the craft. So all the while that this thing is seemingly starting to open up to him, whatever is inside is obviously wants Barney to get in. So this craft is hovering in place, but it's also creeping towards him. And at one point Barney said he estimated it was about 50 to 80 feet above him and also 300 feet away from him. So it's not like right next to him, but it's definitely close enough where he should be able to make out what's going on with this craft. Barney even later reported to investigator Walter Webb, who worked for the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, 
And he told him that the beings were not human at all when he looked at them. Which Barney's seems like a smart guy. So I, I yeah. feel like I should probably take his word for it. I mean, unless he's just in complete shock from what he had just witnessed. And that's exactly what happened. He all of a sudden decides as this thing is approaching him that they're going to try to capture us. And how that became clear to him, I don't know. Maybe this being, whatever it was, was communicating with him telepathically, like, stay where you are. We need you to come aboard the ship here. So I think maybe they communicate this to him non-verbally, telepathically, or some way, because Barney freaks the fuck out. He jumps back in the car. He's like, Betty, we got to go. They're going to get us. And they slam on the gas of the car, and they start driving away from this flying saucer as fast as they possibly can. And while they're driving, Betty rolls down the window and stuck her head out to look at the craft. Betty's not giving up on the craft. She she seemed to be more interested in it than Barney is at this point. Barney just seems scared. But almost as soon as Betty starts looking up at the flying saucer, she starts hearing this rhythmic sequence of buzzing and beeping sounds, which to me kind of sounds like the cliche UFO sounds like beep, 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 beep. <laughs> right? Like right? almost those like kind of robotic sounds coming from the craft. And apparently while they're hearing these beeping and bopping noises, Betty and Barney Hill start feeling a strange tingling sensation passing through their bodies. And to me, what I start thinking is that maybe whatever frequencies these sounds are at are actually, you know, affecting the bodies, you know, physically in some way, shape or form, just based upon the noises themselves. So it's interesting that the noises are directly tied to the physical discomfort and you know, the loss of consciousness that Betty and Barney Hill start experiencing. After seemingly being released by whatever this hold this craft had over them, they start coming back to their senses and start coming back to reality. And they realize that they somehow traveled 35 miles south and they really had no memory of how they had gotten there or what had just happened in the prior two hours that had passed since they last remembered you know, driving on the road. So it seemed like there was this gap in their memory for the last two hours and no idea what had happened during that time. All they know at this point is that they're, you know, kind of way out of their way. It's taking way longer than it should to get home to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And so they actually ended up arriving back at home around five o'clock in the morning, the following day. And they said that they started experiencing odd sensations and impulses that were difficult to explain. And even Barney was like feeling ill. Like they just felt really, really weird. Like something really odd had happened to them the night before, but they just couldn't remember. And they were super concerned about it. And they were concerned about their luggage being contaminated. So they decided to leave it on the back porch of their home instead of bringing it inside. What else is interesting was Betty and Barney noticed that the clocks on their walls in their home were no longer working, like almost the battery got completely drained. And they then checked their wristwatches as well, and they noticed that none of their watches were working either. And that was just really the first of the sort of odd things they started noticing, you know, around the house and the things that they had on them. The next thing Barney noticed was that the strap to his binoculars was torn, and he had no idea how that had happened. He also noticed that a pair of his nicest dress shoes somehow got all scraped up and so they're really at a loss for words at kind of what's going on and what had just happened to them uh the night before it's weird how they were really worried about being contaminated with something it's almost like they had this 
sensation of feeling really dirty or like something had been put on them. I don't know. It's really weird that they were so paranoid about their luggage and their belongings being contaminated and as well as themselves because they both took long showers after they got home. Barney was also concerned that something sexual had happened to him because he even examined his genitals in the bathroom in order to see if anything had been done to them. And he didn't find anything wrong with them, but he definitely was not convinced. So the two of them got together and they started talking about what they had seen and you know what they had experienced and what had happened in those two hours that they had no recollection of. At this point, Betty and Barney Hill are really just trying to come up with an explanation or anything as to what they had just experienced the night before. And so they're kind of just sharing thoughts and, you know, what did you see? What did you, what do you remember kind of sketching out some rough sketches of like what the craft may have looked like? Cause I think they're trying to sort of put all the pieces together and really try to understand what they saw the prior night because their memories are super foggy, super unclear. And, you know, as they're kind of going through a chronological order of the night and what had happened, Betty ends up falling asleep for a few hours. And when she wakes up, she picks up her clothes that she wore the night before and she put them in her closet. And as she was putting her dress away in her closet, she noticed that it was torn at the hem zipper and lining. And she said there was even a pinkish powder on her dress as well. She also realized that she was no longer wearing her blue earrings that she was wearing the night before. So those were missing as well. Now, what's interesting about this pink powder, too, and this has been actually investigated and tested by five different laboratories, and they've determined that based on chemical and forensic analysis, that the actual powder, whatever the substance is, is not of organic origin. Like this has been verified, tested, and I'll even read you a little bit of the analysis done by Matthew Moniz, who is a scientific analysis director. And he analyzed the dress sample from Betty. He said that the dress showed a form of degradation that is consistent with high UV exposure. As an environmental fate chemistry specialist, I see these types of effects on a number of chemical compounds daily. As to the type of UV and duration of exposure, I cannot say without more in-depth testing. I base my finding mainly on the fact that the metals presented in both the samples are about the same. As my counterpart has stated in his report, there is an organic residue that he cannot determine. I find this supportive of the degradation given that the dress is organic and these degrade faster under UV conditions. As more time and resources become available to me, I'll do more testing. So they had no idea what this substance was whatsoever. And it seemed that the dress itself had been exposed to high levels of UV which radiation is commonly associated with flying saucers and UFO sightings. So very interesting because when you think about the possibilities here, it's hard to, you know, unless there's something happened or they did something that we didn't know about, how did this dress get exposed to such high levels of UV and radiation? It's kind of unexplained at this point, as well as this unknown substance that they found on the dress as well. Where did that come from? And to top it all off, When Betty and Barney went back out to their vehicle, they noticed that there was multiple shiny concentric circles on the trunk of their car, which had obviously not been there the prior day. Which is interesting because when Barney and Betty were driving away from that flying saucer and they started to hear those low and high frequency noises, 
they heard that coming from the back of the trunk of their car. And that's where they ended up finding those circles the following day. That's really interesting because I don't even know. I don't even know how to explain that. How do you even explain that? I mean, how does sound create circles in metal? I don't know. That really makes no sense to me whatsoever. So by the afternoon of that day, after they've been making all these discoveries, Betty decides to call her sister Janet. And she tells her sister about this unusual flying object that Barney and her had seen the prior night. And this wasn't the first time, actually, that a member of Betty's family had claimed to have encountered a UFO. In fact, Betty's sister Janet claimed to have seen one back in 1957. But the details surrounding the sighting were never released to the public. And after Janet had heard Betty's story, she told her that she should call the nearby Air Force Base to report what they had seen. So on September 21st, 1961, Betty called the Peace Air Force Base in order to report the UFO encounter that her and Barney had just experienced. So when she called the Air Force Base, she spoke to one of the Air Force investigators and told them about the sighting of this UFO. And then the following day, Betty received a call from Major Paul Henderson, who was assigned to take an official statement from the couple. And at first, Betty did not tell him all the details of the story, such as how they saw the alien-like men. And obviously, they wanted to say that because they were worried about coming off as crazy or, you know, just having their whole story discounted altogether. But she did tell him about the craft and provided information about what it even looked like. And the way that they kind of sketched out the craft is sort of like a pancake. And they even described it as a pancake. Very flat. It doesn't look like that typical flying saucer or bell-shaped craft that we're all accustomed to seeing. It was more of like literally almost like a hamburger patty with some windows on it. Now, what's interesting is that after Betty tells Major Henderson about the UFO she had seen, he actually informed her that whatever this unidentified flying object was, was actually picked up on the Air Force Base radar at 2.14 a.m. And surprisingly, Barney was totally against reporting that UFO sighting to the Air Force, but Betty was all for it. I'm trying to understand why Barney may not have wanted to contact the Air Force. And my first thought is that he just didn't want to look insane and was worried that you know, if they told the Air Force what they had seen and what they had experienced, that they would just be called crazy and maybe publicly ridiculed by uh, by the Air Force for for this experience that they claimed that they had. Because I mean, they were both educated; they're both you know very well known in their community. So I think probably that was the reason why he didn't want to tell anybody about it is that he was just worried that people would think that they were crazy. And I also think Barney was just yeah avoiding the stress of, let's say, if there were repercussions that they did tell the Air Force, and then it got blown out of proportion uh, because he's always struggled with stress in his life, especially being with Betty and that they were interracial couple during the 1960s. And he just wanted to avoid all public attention as much as possible. That's a really good point that just their relationship alone brought a lot of attention to them, unwanted attention to them. So I think you're exactly right. I think he kind of wanted to just fly under the radar more as opposed to, you know, stirring up drama. But Major Henderson actually spent the next couple days working on the report full of all the information that the Hills had given him. And he ended up filing this report on September 26, four days after he had interviewed the couple. And according to his report, he concluded that Betty and Barney Hill most likely misidentified the planet Jupiter or seen some type of optical illusion caused by the planet, 
which was very visible on the night that they claimed they had this experience. However, this report kind of got thrown out later on because of insufficient data. And honestly, that just sounds like a bunch of bullshit to me. So I'm sure that he just kind of threw this report together and, you know, just came up with an excuse to discount it. Because for all we know, what they had seen may have been some type of military aircraft that perhaps they weren't supposed to see. So maybe that's why they were just kind of like trying to brush it under the rug. Now let's go back to Betty's conversation with her sister, Janet on September 21st for a minute, because while talking to Janet, Betty had mentioned that she had seen the multiple shiny concentric circles on the trunk of their car. And Janet told her to get a compass out and see how it reacted to the unusual spots. So they did. Betty and Barney got a compass and started moving it closer to those metallic circles on their car. And what they noticed is that as they got closer, the compass would begin to spin chaotically. And once they moved away from it, it would stop. So after they did this little experiment, Barney started to notice that something was definitely off. There was something very weird about these circles. And Betty thought it was a sign that what had happened to them was possibly from out of this world, that it was something extraterrestrial. So much so that over the next couple days, Betty began to investigate UFOs on her own. She actually went to the nearby Portsmouth Library and began reading all about flying saucers and the stories people had of them. And she actually ended up checking out a UFO book called Flying Saucers Are Real. Now, this book was written by the head of NICAP, which is a civilian UFO research group, Donald Kehoe, who was a retired Marine Corps major at the time. This book by Donald Kehoe was based on the idea that UFOs have been visiting Earth for centuries and they had now started to increase their observations on humanity because of our development of nuclear technology. And this book also presented that the United States government, or at least the leaders of the government, were aware of UFO visitations and have been actively suppressing that knowledge. So very interesting, definitely stuff that I believe in. And obviously when Betty read all about this, she's like, oh, okay, this makes a lot more sense. So on September 26, Betty wrote a letter to Donald Kehoe explaining their entire story including all the details about the spacecraft that they had seen, as well as the humanoid figures that they saw. And she also wrote that her and Barney were looking into hypnosis with hopes that would help them remember what had happened. So I assume she got the idea for hypnosis from these books that she were reading, because this is a common way for people to who go through profound experiences like this, who maybe don't have a good memory of what happened to them, to help them recall those memories. And apparently hypnosis just really works well for this. For whatever reason, this letter that Betty wrote to Donald Kehoe actually got forwarded to a Boston astronomer and NICAP member named Walter and Webb. And on October 21st, 1961, Betty and Barney Hill actually met up with this Walter guy for an interview. And, you know, they sit down with him and they tell him the whole story as much as they could remember, uh, about their UFO experience. And Barney even told Walter that he believed he had developed some sort of mental barrier that would not allow him to reveal all of his memories of the encounter. That's very interesting because I wonder if that was just him psychologically doing that or if perhaps this, you know, these beings or whoever he experienced did this to him in some way, shape or form. But the couple ended up telling Walter everything they could remember about the craft as well as the appearances of the humanoid figures that they had seen on board. And at the end of the interview, Walter publicly stated that they were telling the truth 
and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported except for some minor uncertainty. After hearing the Hill story and interviewing them, Walter publicly stated that they were telling the truth and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported except for some minor uncertainties and technicalities that must be tolerated in any such observations where human judgment is involved, like exact time, length of visibility, the apparent sizes of object, occupants, distance, and height of objects. Obviously, all the you know pieces that require measurement you know, we have to use our judgment with. But interesting that he said that he believed that they were telling the truth. But the Hill's experiences as a result of the UFO encounter they had did not stop there. Ten days after this all happened, Betty started having vivid nightmares about her and Barney being taken away against their will by a group of beings who had taken them from their car and began guiding them towards this type of craft that was hidden in the woods. And these dreams just continued to happen night after night. And it seemed like the more dreams they had, the more information they got because they started having memories of experiments being performed on them. And apparently this continued to happen for five nights in a row. And never in her life could Betty recall having dreams with such vivid detail and intensity to them, almost like a lucid dream in a way. But after the fifth night, she stopped having dreams altogether, but they definitely hung around during the day. And those dreams ended up getting to Betty so much that she did end up telling Barney about it. And when he heard, he showed some sympathy towards her, but he just kind of blew it off like, eh, you know, no big deal. Just get over it. So Betty never told him anything about her dreams ever since then. It's interesting because it seems like Barney's becoming more skeptical as time goes on about their experience and about, you know, what had actually happened to them. I mean, it seems like Betty being, you know, sort of already interested in UFOs is kind of, you know, really going hard down that road. And I don't know, I'm wondering if, you know, researching all of that and looking into all these things and seeing similarities, if, you know, Betty's starting to, you know, influence her dreams by what she's you know the media that she's consuming the books that she's reading or if in fact you know she's just recalling memories actual memories that she had through her dreams i think it's hard to say because i know both happened to me where you know i'll dream about something that really did happen obviously there's some slight variance in in it but then i'll have dreams that are just completely you know based upon a movie that I watched or like a TV show I watched going to bed or something like that. And I know when I wake up and I remember my dream, I'm like, Oh, that's totally because I watched that show right before I went to right, sleep. Right. And that influenced my actual dream itself versus it being a real memory that I have that I was recalling while I was sleeping. So it's really hard to say with stuff like this, but just when she thought the dream stopped, she started having more. And in November of 1961, she decided it was probably a good idea to start writing down the details of her dreams. One of her dreams she wrote about, she said that Barney and her were driving when they encountered a roadblock. And when they stopped at the roadblock, they ended up getting surrounded by a group of men while they were in the car. And while they were surrounded, Betty ended up losing consciousness and struggled to regain it. And then she said that in her dream, she was being forced by two small men to walk into a dark forest with Barney behind her. And when she tried yelling at Barney, he did not respond. And it looked like Barney was in some type of trance or he was sleepwalking because he just kind of like zombied out walking through the forest, not responding to 
Betty at all. And apparently these small men, as she called them, were about five feet, four inches tall, and they were wearing matching blue uniforms with hats like those worn by military cadets. They appeared somewhat human, but they had dark eyes, black hair, grayish pale skin, and prominent noses and bluish colored lips. And she said in her dream, Betty and Barney and the men ended up walking up a ramp into a disc-shaped craft, which had a metallic appearance to it. And once inside the craft, Betty and Barney were separated and taken into different rooms. And while Betty was in the room, she saw a man like the other ones enter the room to conduct her exam and was accompanied by someone known as the leader. And Betty called this new man that she saw the examiner and said that he had a pleasant and calm demeanor to him. The leader and the examiner spoke English, but it was very difficult for Betty to understand what they were saying because apparently they didn't speak it very well. And she said she was told by the examiner that they were going to conduct a few tests to determine the differences between humans and the craft's occupants. Betty was placed on a sterile table at that point, and there was a bright light shining above her. And she said that the examiner started cutting off some of her hair. And afterwards, he started examining her hands, arms, legs, eyes, ears, mouth, teeth, and throat. And then she said he then saved trimmings of her fingernails and used a dull knife to scrape some of her skin onto what appeared to be cellophane. Apparently, the examiner said they wanted to test her nervous system, so he thrusted a large needle into her belly button, which she said was extremely painful. I can only imagine having a freaking large needle shoved in your belly button. And obviously, the pain was so bad that she starts screaming and crying. And then the leader waves his hand in front of Betty's eyes, which all of a sudden caused her to stop feeling the pain. And once the test is completed, the examiner left the room and Betty started to engage in conversation with the leader. And apparently the leader handed her a book that had rows of strange symbols on it and told her that she could take it home. Betty then asked the leader where they had come from. And apparently this guy pulls out a map that had a ton of stars on it and pointed at it. Betty recalled that afterwards, the men escorted her and Barney out of the craft when an argument broke out between some of the occupants on board. The leader then informed Betty that she could not keep the book that he gave her because the other men decided that they did not want her to remember the encounter. So they literally were going to give her a souvenir for this experience. And apparently this pissed off the little guys, the aliens. And so they said, no, no, we don't want her to remember this. And Betty didn't think too much about it. She was just like, okay, you can have the book back because she was thinking that she was going to be able to remember everything on board that craft. And then she said that they were taken back to their car, which was where the leader told them to wait and not drive away until after the craft had departed. Now, again, this is based on a dream she had that she believes is a memory. So We have no way of knowing whether or not this is just a crazy dream she had or if she is recalling a memory through this dream that she's having. We just don't know. So later on, on November 25th, 1961, Betty and Barney Hill were interviewed by NICAP members Robert Homan and C.D. Jackson. The couple told them about the night of the encounter and that they did not arrive at home until way later than they had expected. The two investigators expressed that the drive home should have only taken about four hours However, it took Barney and Betty seven hours to get home that day, and they had no explanation for what happened during those two, three hours that shouldn't have happened, that should have never been there. It should have only taken them four hours to get home, took seven. So what the hell happened during that time period? 
Betty and Barney Hill went on to tell them that they couldn't remember anything during the 35 miles on U.S. Route 3 between Indian Head and Ashland, which was where they encountered the UFO. They did mention, however, that at one point they saw what appeared to be a fiery orb on the road, and at the time they had thought it must have been the moon, but the investigators told them that the moon had set earlier in that evening. And afterwards, the subject of hypnosis was brought up, and it was decided that it would be the most effective way to really dig deep into those memories and retrieve what actually happened to them during this alleged UFO encounter. Barney was very apprehensive at first about hypnosis, but with a little bit of talking to, he did agree to do it if it could help put Betty's nightmares to rest. Because at this point, they really didn't know where else to turn. They didn't know of anything else that could really help them retrieve these memories that they knew that they had that they just couldn't access. They even went as far as driving back to the site to see if it would spark up memories or you know help ignite something to help them understand what had happened to them during those three hours that they couldn't account for. A few days later on November 23rd, 1962, Betty and Barney Hill attended a meeting at their church. And the church invited a guest speaker in named Captain Ben Sweat, who was an active member in the Air Force at the time. And the pastor strangely had him speak about his personal interest in hypnosis. After the church meeting had concluded, Betty and Barney Hill decided, hey, we're interested in hypnosis. Let's go talk to this guy. So they go up to Captain Sweat and they start telling him about this UFO encounter that they had. And what's interesting is Captain Sweat was very interested in the fact that they had this missing time, this three hours that they could not remember. And if you know anything about hypnosis, you know that there's probably a way for us to retrieve those lost memories of what happened during those three hours. So Betty and Barney Hill asked Captain Sweat if he can hypnotize them and help them recover these memories. But he ends up telling him he's not qualified to actually perform hypnosis treatment. And he cautioned them that they should go to a professional because if you go to an amateur or somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing, it can be dangerous. So Captain Sweat actually suggests that Barney Hill talk to a guy by the name of Mr. Stevens. And when Barney met with Mr. Stevens, he referred him and Betty to Dr. Benjamin Simon, who was a well-known Boston psychiatrist and neurologist at the time. And so Betty and Barney Hill go and see Dr. Simon and he conducts a couple of initial interviews with them and kind of going over, you know, what happened to them on the night of September 19, 1961. And his preliminary diagnosis for Betty and Barney Hill was just anxiety, which doesn't really make a ton of sense. I mean, anxiety, does that make you see things that aren't there? I don't know. Anxiety syndrome. I'm no psychologist, so I, I don't know entirely what that means. But to me, that seems like a very like just plain diagnosis, you know, very ordinary thing. But then again, maybe he just was noticing that they were having anxiety about talking about these events and talking about that night. So maybe that's why he, through his preliminary diagnosis, he just said it was anxiety and not anything else. Because the more that he talked to them, the more he knew he had to really dig in to try and figure out what this couple had experienced on September 19th, 1961. So that's when Dr. Simon makes the decision for Barney and Betty Hill to undergo regressive hypnosis because that would allow him to get to the root of their memories, which were very unclear at the time. So the way regressive hypnosis works is that hypnosis enables the mind to travel more easily across the dimension of time. 
Regression is the process by which the hypnotist guides you back through time to specific events that need to be examined, and it can help you remember specific details of an event, or even better, to observe it objectively and to understand its meaning and significance. It can definitely be a very powerful psychological tool to explore the deeper parts of the human mind, but you need a guide, and that's exactly what Dr. Simon was for The Hills. So at this point in time, Betty and Barney Hill really haven't told anybody. They've talked to their church, but that was the only public statement they really made about their encounter because they still weren't really sure whether or not they had it or what had happened to them. So on January 4th, 1964, Dr. Simon began hypnotizing Barney and Betty Hill, and he actually hypnotized them several times each, and the sessions lasted until June 6th, 1964. And when he would hypnotize them, he would do the hypnotic sessions individually so that they could not overhear each other's recollections of their memories. So Dr. Simon hypnotized Barney first. And when they got to the part where he's seeing these humanoid figures, Barney becomes very emotional and punctuated with expressions of fear as well as emotional outbursts. And Barney claimed that because of his fear, he kept his eyes closed during most of the abduction and physical examination. And based on Barney's early responses, Dr. Simon informed him that he would not be able to remember the hypnosis sessions until he was certain he could remember them without being further traumatized. And under hypnosis, Barney remembered that the reason why his binocular strap was torn was because when he ran away from the approaching UFO and got back into the car, he had torn it. Barney also recalled driving the car as fast as possible away from the UFO and how soon afterwards he felt compelled to pull their car off the road and drive into the woods, almost like he was being controlled. And he eventually recalls approaching six men who were standing on the dirt road that he had been driving on. And at that point, the car had stalled, and the three men approached their car. And this is when they informed Barney not to be afraid of them. At this point, Barney was still very anxious, but he reported that the quote-unquote, the leader, told him to close his eyes. And while hypnotized, Barney said, I felt like my eyes had been pushed into my eyes. And he described the figures very similarly to Betty's hypnotic recollection, not her dream, but her hypnotic recollection. And he said the figures would often stare into his eyes, which would terrify him. And under hypnosis, Barney said things like, oh, those eyes, they're in my brain. Basically, Barney was scared, whatever these beings eyes were. And we'll talk about these beings more, these aliens more, because it'll make a lot of sense when I explain what these aliens actually looked like. But Barney goes on to recall that he and Betty had been taken onto a dish-shaped craft, and then at that point they were separated. He was then escorted to a sterile room by three of the men and was told to lie down on a small rectangular exam table. And unlike Betty, Barney's narrative of the exam was less detailed, since he continued to keep his eyes closed during most of the exam, probably because he didn't want to see what the fuck was going on. But he recalled that they used a cup-like device and placed it on his genitals. He did not remember experiencing an orgasm, but Barney did believe that they took a sperm sample from him. He also recalled that there was an examiner who scraped his skin and peered in his ears and mouth. A thin tube was then inserted into his anal cavity and then after a few moments was quickly removed. Seems like he might have been probed. Is what that seems like to me. That's scary. And then one of the men examined his spine with a tool and began counting his vertebrae. Barney also stated that he heard them speaking in a mumbling language that he had trouble understanding, but he knew that they were speaking 
some English because he can make out a few words. In one of Dr. Simon's hypnosis audio tapes, Barney did end up going into length about how those alien beings seem to have been communicating telepathically because he noticed while they were communicating in English to him that he did not see their mouths moving whatsoever. seems very clear to me that on board this craft, there was humans working alongside aliens and the humans were clearly speaking English and that's why they were able to actually pick up verbal words that they were saying, but these alien beings that they were working with were only communicating telepathically which is pretty cool, honestly. And just as much as they recalled being taken aboard the ship, Barney remembered being escorted from the ship and taken back to their car, and then they washed in a daze as the ship disappeared. Now, when Betty was hypnotized, her experiences were very similar to the events of her five dreams about the UFO abduction they had experienced. But there were also some significant differences mainly pertaining to her capture and release. And when comparing her account with her reported dreams, the differences were that the technology in the craft was different, that the short men, as she called them, had significantly different physical appearances from what she had seen in her dreams, as well as the order of the events that occurred during the actual abduction were different from Betty's reported dreams. Now, Betty and Barney Hill's memories during regressive hypnosis were consistent with one another's, but some of the reports contradicted some of Betty's dreams. Betty also displayed a considerable amount of emotional distress during her capture and examination portions of her memory recollection. In fact, it was so bad that Dr. Simon had to end one of the hypnosis sessions early because Betty was screaming in pain and crying as if she was being tortured. So it seems like Betty may have had a way worse time aboard this craft and that they really hurt her versus Barney. It seemed like they really didn't do too much to him. What's also interesting though, is that at one point during one of the sessions, Dr. Simon provided Betty with a post hypnotic suggestion that she should sketch a copy of the star map that she would later describe as a three dimensional projection, basically a hologram that she had seen aboard the ship. And she claims when she looked at this hologram or this holographic map, that she saw many stars on it, but she was only able to draw out the significant ones that she could remember. And this map that she sketched out consisted of 12 prominent stars connected by lines and three lesser ones that formed a triangle shape. And she stated that the stars that were connected by solid lines were trade routes, and then that the dashed lines were less traveled star locations. Now, what's interesting about Betty Hill's alleged star map is that it really didn't make sense to anybody until a person named Marjorie Fish looked at it in 1968 because actually all these hypnotic regressions and all the transcripts from it were released in a book called The Interrupted Journey. So she had actually read this book and seen the the map in it that Betty Hill had drawn. And she was super intrigued by it because she was an amateur astronomer herself. And she started wondering maybe this was the star system that the UFO they had encountered had come from. So when she looked at it, she assumed that one of the 15 stars on the map had to have represented Earth's sun. So she ended up constructing a three-dimensional model of nearby sun-like stars using thread and beads and basing stellar distances on those published in the 1969 
Gillet Star catalog. And after setting thousands of vantage points over several years, the only one that seemed to match Betty Hill's map was from the viewpoint of the double star system Zeta Reticuli. Now, what's interesting about Zeta Reticuli is that it's often alleged to be home to an alien civilization commonly referred to as the Greys. Now, if you know anything about alleged alien species, the Greys are known as these small little creatures with big eyes. They're usually gray in color and they're short. They're like four or five feet tall and they allegedly come from the star system Zeta Reticuli. This is also backed up by Bob Lazar, who if you've never heard of Bob Lazar, he came out and told us about Area 51 around uh, the 60s, 70s era. And he actually said that he had helped reverse engineer a craft that had allegedly come from the vicinity of the Zeta Reticuli star system as well. And not only that, there's another theory out there called Project Serpo about an exchange of humans with aliens that happened as well. It's important to note, though, that even though Marjorie thought that she determined that this was a map of Zeta Reticuli, a lot of people disagree with this. I mean, for me personally, I think the two match up pretty well. I think it's a pretty close representation of an actual star map of the Zeta Reticuli system. It seems pretty close to the same, but I don't know. A lot of people have looked at this. Even Carl Sagan has looked at this. The renowned astronomer Carl Sagan even said that it bared no resemblance to a real life map. I mean, a ton of people have looked at this and a lot of people have said that it just looks like a shot in the dark, or maybe she already knew about the Zeta Reticuli system and you know, those theories and information that I just mentioned prior to drawing it. So maybe she just drew it from memory to make it look like that. But regardless, a lot of people are super skeptical about Betty Hill's star map and don't believe that it represents the Zeta Reticuli system. And the star map was a big deal because many years after all this occurred, it was the closest thing to evidence that Betty and Barney Hill had of that night that was actually extraterrestrial. Yeah, it's kind of the only proof for that, really, that if Betty really did see this holographic map aboard the craft, that, you know, maybe that was their, you know, navigation system or something (laughs) that she got her hands on. I don't know. And that's how she she knew about Zeta Reticuli. But I don't know. It's it's hard to say because she is such a UFO fan that I feel like she probably read about, you know, the gray aliens in, in a book at some point. But who knows? But after a ton of different hypnotic sessions with Dr. Simon, the following details of the Hill story became very clear. When Betty and Barney Hill stopped their car, the flying spacecraft landed on the road in front of them, forming some type of roadblock which pinned them down. Betty and Barney were then forced on board the craft and were given medical examinations against their will. Yeah, clearly against their will. Before they were released from the craft, they were then ordered under hypnosis to not recall any of the events that they experienced aboard the craft. Betty and Barney Hill both recalled the aliens as bald-headed alien beings, about five feet tall with grayish skin, pear-shaped heads, and slanting cat-like eyes. Now, what's interesting is that they also were asked to sketch out the beings. And when they sketched them out, they did a very rough sketch. It was not very good, but they later on had an artist kind of do a 3D rendering of it and it definitely looks exactly like what we call gray aliens 
that big head, you know, kind of oval shaped, the big almond eyes. So it's clear that if this is real, they definitely saw gray aliens aboard this UFO. This is also, as far as we know, one of the first mentions of gray aliens as well. Although I'm pretty sure they've been mentioned before this happened, but to the public, this was kind of the first time that we'd ever seen what a quote unquote gray alien actually looked like. It was all based upon Betty and Barney Hill's recollection of what they looked like. What's interesting though, is that Dr. Simon actually speculated that Barney's recollection of the UFO encounter was possibly a fantasy inspired by Betty's dreams. Barney rejected this idea However, Dr. Simon noted that while their memories were consistent in some regards, there was also portions of both their narratives that were unique to each other. So there were still some unique differences between the two. Even though the main gist of the story lined up, there's definitely some uh, minor details that were very much different. But after all these sessions, Barney was finally accepting that they had been abducted by beings of this UFO and he never really embraced this experience like Betty did. Like seems like he rejected it and really was, I think he was pretty, pretty skeptical of it at the very end. I think maybe he thought this happened, but maybe it didn't. Maybe it was, you know, just a fabric of his imagination or a result of hearing Betty's dreams about, you know, what she believed had happened to them. I think it's, it's really hard to say whether or not he was all in on this experience or not. But at the end of the day, it seemed like the hypnotic sessions really did help the Hills deal with, you know, their anxiety around this experience. And kind of afterwards, they felt free, like they were able to, you know, sort of move on because they were finally able to understand what had happened to them based upon retrieving these memories that they had lost. Now, afterwards, Dr. Simon came under a ton of pressure to release the information that the Hills had talked to them about. But obviously there's, you know, patient confidentiality here. So, you know, he wasn't just going to go tell the world his thoughts and opinions on their story and all the information that they had told him. But Dr. Simon did tell the press that Betty and Barney Hill were not fabricating their story. And then he went on to say that there were several conclusions that could be possible. He said that Betty and Barney's abduction experience did in fact happen or two some perceptive and illusory misinterpretations occurred in relationship to actual events. But after all of these hypnotic sessions were over and seemingly all this was behind them, Betty and Barney Hill went back to living their regular lives. And you would think with such a profound experience like this and the amount of uh, attention that they seemed to get that they would have gone public with all this information and, you know, started speaking at conferences and things like that. Like we see with other UFO abductees, but they really didn't. They only discussed the UFO encounter with friends and family and on the rare occasion, a UFO researcher, but they never made any attempt to seek public attention for it. Later in life, Betty actually claimed to have seen UFO several more times, even after this initial abduction. And she really kind of became a well-known name in the UFO community. I mean, she seems like she's always had a love for this and that She's been very interested in this her entire life. So it makes sense. And obviously having such a profound experience like she claims she did, a lot of people in the UFO community would definitely want to hear from her. But Barney Hill actually ended up passing away from a cerebral hemorrhage on February 25th, 1969 at the age of 46 years old. But Betty Hill ended up living much longer than Barney and eventually died of cancer on October 17th, 2004 
at the age of 85. And after Barney died, she never remarried. So it's interesting that she never remarried. I mean, he died at 46. That's that's a long time. Surprising that she never got remarried. But I don't know. Betty Betty seems like a very interesting individual. Uh, if you there's some interviews of her on YouTube that you can listen to. It, it's it's really hard because I want to believe their story and I want to believe that all of this is true. But at the same time, Betty just seems like that type of person that would, you know, maybe take just seeing a UFO and turn it into this big whole, you know, dramatic story. But then again, it's hard to deny the hypnosis sessions because it seems like, you know, maybe they did recall some memories that, that they lost that night. But at the end of the day, their story and the information that they recalled in those hypnosis sessions were eventually released uh, in this big long report. And from there, a ton of books were written about them. I mean, there was endless publications, endless films and movies and TV shows as a result of this. There was just a ton of media that came out of the Betty and Barney Hill story. And when all this information was finally released and people and researchers started you know, kind of pouring over it. And other psychiatrists took a look at, you know, Dr. Simon's work and what he had done with the Hills. Another wave of skeptics came forward. That's for sure. Psychiatrists have later suggested that the abduction story of Betty and Barney Hill were a hallucination brought on by the stress of being an interracial couple in the early 1960s in the United States, which is definitely impossible. But Betty has always denied this suggestion, noting her relationship with Barney was happy and that their interracial marriage had nothing to do with the stress that they had, and it never caused any notable problems with their friends or family. Another big point that skeptics often bring up is that the hypnosis sessions occurred over two years after the abductions allegedly occurred, which would give somebody plenty of time to sort of come up with a story for their encounter. It definitely made people think that they just kind of concocted the story and they kind of got it right and they kind of got it synced up, but it's very clear that they just made all of this up because of the discrepancies between the two stories and Barney, the way that he acted about all of this was definitely a little bit more skeptic. So a lot of people just think this is just a giant UFO fairy tale and that there's nothing here to prove that their experience was real in any way, shape or form. And in one of the hypnosis sessions, when Barney's actually describing what the craft looks like and seeing, you know, the windows of people looking out, uh, it has to be noted that the Cannon Mountain Aerial Tramway is very close to this area. So it's very possible that when he was looking through it, that perhaps he was seeing the the tramway, which I'm like, it was pretty fucking late at night. So really people were fucking in the tramway at like 11 o'clock at night. I don't know about that. And plus all the lights and it being pancake shaped. I don't know. That doesn't really match up for me, but a lot of people just think that he saw something completely ordinary and they just completely made it, made it up. Not only that, though, a lot of people say that their encounter, as well as with the UFO, the description of the UFO, the beings, the aliens, and all of that, do share a lot of similarities to TV shows and movies that were playing at the time as well. So, again, it comes down to did Betty really see what she saw, or was it dreams that she had that influenced her memories and media that she saw that influenced her memories? It's really hard to say whether or not these two had a genuine experience or if they were just, you know, recalling a dream that they had. As much as I believe in UFOs and I believe in aliens and I definitely believe to some extent alien abductions, 
I do have a really hard time with Betty and Barney Hill's story because I think that there's a lot of inconsistencies between the two stories. And, you know, if they both had experienced the same thing, you would think that they would line up more. And again, at the same time, I'm just like, who am I to say that they didn't have this experience? Because maybe they did. And maybe it's just, it was so profound and so crazy that they just weren't able to, you know, remember it the way that they, you know, could have, or maybe the beings on board did something to their memory that, you know, permanently altered it. Cause you would think that if there's advanced species had, you know, brought them on board to do experiments on them, that they would have had some way to prevent them from remembering it. Cause I think there's a lot of examples of alien abductions where people don't have any memories of it and they just have, you know, these random wounds or scars or, you know, injuries that show up on them you know, after, you know, a night that they don't recall anything. So it's, it's really hard. And, and I don't know, I'm definitely skeptical, but at the same time, I think it is possible that they had this experience, but I don't know. What do you think, Joel? I am definitely on the same page as far as being skeptical. The biggest thing for me is that there weren't really any witnesses that did see what Betty and Barney saw that night. And basically all that we have for evidence is Barney and Betty's hypnosis tapes and recordings and the reports from that. But both of their mental states of mind during those sessions could have been altered by outside influences, maybe something they saw on TV or a book that they read. And, you know, your, your mind's a powerful thing and it can use those things against you and make you believe certain things that aren't actually true. So it's a tough call. I would say, I do not believe their story is true ultimately, but what about you on that? I don't fucking know. (laughs) That's my answer, right? I don't fucking know. And I don't think any of us will ever know whether or not that story is true. Like you said, very little evidence. And it seems like the air force concluded that it was probably weather balloons that they saw. Some people think that they saw this tramway. I, I don't know. I mean, they're the only ones that saw it. So you either take their word for it or you don't. And I mean, they did do two sketches or pretty shitty sketches, but I don't know, man. I I think it's just really up for interpretation and yeah, ultimately do you believe or do you not believe? And for this particular story, I don't know if I can fully believe or not. Uh, I think it's a, a great story at the end of the day, but compared to other alien abduction stories and UFO encounters that I know about, this one definitely ranks there at the bottom as far as uh, believable. So you guys will have to let us know what you think about the Betty and Barney Hill story. Do you believe it or do you not let us know? We'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode of lights out there. Hopefully you enjoyed it. This alien abduction story. If you did let us know also make sure to follow the show on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify and YouTube. And yeah, we will see you guys next week. Lights out everybody. <laughs>